Hello and welcome to Dad Stories. Fathers are important, and this show exists to demonstrate the value of fatherhood by highlighting positive experiences with dads. No father is perfect, and not everyone has had the blessing of a good father figure in their lives. But all of us can benefit from some good stories about good dads. Today we talk to Jeff Hicks, a pastor, chaplain, and a father himself. I've known Jeff for several years now. We've worked at camps and church events together, and he's been a much-needed source of pastoral advice. I'm thankful he was willing to sit down with me, and I hope that we can all benefit from hearing his dad's stories. So, Jeff, tell us about your dad. Uh, my dad is Burl, or as we refer to him, the Burl. And uh, there's only one, and that's probably a good thing, but... Uh, my dad is 86. He's still farming because he's not old enough to retire yet. And if you want to fight on your hands, you could suggest to him that he retire. But farmer, lifelong farmer, also a part-time preacher with a passion for that, but also just, you know, grew up on a farm. And I think once, you know, you've had the farm dirt under your fingers, you just never get it completely cleaned out from under there. And you eventually, one way or the other, go back. But no, dad was... Uh, uh, well, that is primarily a farmer, Northwest Iowa. Um, and so he and mom were married for 52 years before she passed away of cancer 13 years ago. Uh, living in the same house that I grew up in, or he is. And uh, I, I think if he, I don't know that he's planning to, but I think that if he were to chart the course of his final years, he'd probably die right there. And uh, And actually, I think we would, see that as the best thing that could happen if if there's a day five years or ten years or whatever from now where he just doesn't wake up in the morning how cool would that be die on the farm you lived your whole life on okay. so that's the burl you said that he grew up in pretty rough circumstance right well yeah i i don't think unusually rough for the time but uh you born in 1936 and mom was born in 38 uh, the, the depression was raging, but the onset of the depression hit the Midwest a little later than it hit the coasts, but so too did the recovery. So he grew up during World War II and, uh, the, the lingering effects of the depression, but also world war going on that, that brought about situations that we can't imagine. Uh, there were a lot of things that not only would they have been un, uh, un, unaffordable, they just weren't available. You know, uh, and, and weird things that like tires couldn't get them. You know, it's all about the war effort. So that's the era dad grew up in. And uh, his his dad, like him, was a farmer. In fact, I don't know how many generations back the family line goes as far as farmers. But uh, my granddad, his dad was just one of these absolutely hardcore, hardworking farmers that did, you know, success was dependent upon how hard you worked. What would an average day in the life of the borough look like? Uh, I, <laughs> there is no, no shortage of irony in the fact that dad sold the milk. He quit milking cows when Dave and I graduated from high school. Kind of weird how that worked. Oh, the, the, the creamery's not going to be picking up our milk anymore. Oh, really? Oh, how convenient. But um, a day in the life of the borough would be, um, he would be up, before we were, you know, uh, he and mom would be up earliest in the morning, probably somewhere in the 5.30 to 6 o'clock ballpark, milk the cows. Had to be done. 
so the milking takes place probably, uh, I would say probably by 7, 7.30, it's breakfast time. And then, you know, after whatever is for breakfast is eaten, that was a, uh, and this is one thing I do amusingly remember about dad is of anything else that might or might not have been eaten for breakfast, he always ate a bowl of cornflakes. Always. And I don't know whether, I don't think he insisted on the name brand or whatever, but always a bowl of cornflakes with sugar and milk on him. Always. And and I would bet that he still does that. But at any rate, so he has these cornflakes in his coffee, and then it's just back out to whatever needs to be done on the farm that day. If it was springtime, it might be planting, it might be uh, weeding or spraying or fixing equipment or whatever, and uh, might be uh, spending time on top of the combine fixing an auger in the harvest or in the middle of the winter it was thawing the fountains and whatever um, and 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 lunch was you know to us Iowans who call it correctly lunch was what you eat between breakfast and dinner and between dinner and supper so there would always be basically five eating times and the other thing is after supper, whenever it was, if it was still light outside, chances are there were some things that needed to be wrapped up outside. And so pretty much a dawn to dusk or beyond, it was, there's something to do on the farm. Uh, there's work to be had. Were you in tow the whole time or how were you involved in all that? Um, when I was young enough to be when, you know, granted it, of course it, it waned a little bit when, when I got into high school and there were activities in school. And obviously, I was in school during the day, during the school year. Uh, but if not at school or school, at school activities, yeah, I was in tow, you know, even up through uh, high school, college, and beyond. After I graduated from college, my goal, well, and we did do it, was to go back and farm with Dad. Uh, but that was in the mid-'80s, and the, uh, lot, there were a lot of factors that, that brought that to a close, not the least of which was a clear calling from God. But yeah, it was, we we're just around each other all the time and, uh, and not making stupid choices, but primarily on how hard you worked. In what ways are you like him? Well, I think probably I'm a lot like dad in that uh, there's a work ethic there. Uh, it was observed and absorbed and and there's just an understanding based on a lot of things, not the least of which is experience, that, you know, if, if you want something, uh, if you feel that you need something or you do need something, you got to go out and work for it. You got you to gotta go out and get it. Growing up on a farm there, you know, during the era where I grew up when dad was in his prime years raising his family, there were... I mean, I, I know there were social systems in place, but uh, that to a conservative Christian family was kind of like, oh, no, 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 you don't live off the government. Uh, you just don't do that. You know, Christians don't do that. So um, what meager programs there might have been were almost anathema. It came back to work at it, you know, work at it. And, and also I grew up with the, and I think I absorbed it, the... Uh, understanding or the the feeling that there really isn't such a thing as a 40-hour work week. I mean, there is, but in a lot of ways, it just doesn't apply because if you got to do what you got to do, it doesn't matter if you filled in your, completed your 40 hours. You, you know, if something needs to be done or if somebody needs to be helped, it's off the clock. It's just something that has to be done. 
what would you say you and your dad did when you were spending time together? Like, what, what would an average day of uh, dad and Jeff time look like? Working, honestly. It was, you know, I was the kid, you know, I'm the youngest of three boys, born in three years, grew, growing up in an era where where you ate your meals and slept in the house. That, that was really all you did because there, you know, we had a TV, but when it worked, it was a black and white, and there were only three channels. And you can only watch so many reruns of Hee Haw before that gets old. And then the news comes on at 10, and after that, the national anthem and a flyover and static. You know, there wasn't such a thing as, boy, I'm drawn to the TV or drawn to being in the house because there's literally nothing to do there but eat and sleep. And uh, so it was always outside, just always outside. You know, again, mom and mom was outside working with dad most of the time when she wasn't making meals or what. But uh, it was a hundred times more interesting to be outside and see what was going on and participate in it than to be sitting around inside. So, you know, it wasn't like dad set aside, okay, you know, we're going to go fishing. And, you know, when I get off work on Thursday and we're going to go fishing, we were just together all the time, you know, literally. And uh, so... I suppose, you know, it kind of almost gets back to a biblical model where Jesus' disciples, they basically lived with him. You observe and you see, not just not just the, the classroom lesson time, but you just observe life. So I think remembering back, I believe I'm remembering it correctly. I took great pride in the things that I was able to do to be of help. Because it was like, okay, I, you know, I held that board while he nailed it up, or I, I, you know, guarded the fence while he was in there dropping off the hay or the silage to the cattle, and it was a, it was like, yep, I can do this too, and so uh, that was, I think that was a big thing for me, just to be able to be, not just there, but to be participating in life and helping. Your dad's a pretty tough guy. He's a hard worker. I, you were talking before this about him trying to get in between two bulls when he's in his 80s. How does uh, how did your dad handle interpersonal conflict? Oh, silently. Um, you mentioned the toughness. The one story I'd mention about that is, you know, I, I dad's not a big man. He never has been. You know, mom said that he was 5'11". I, he might have been that tall, but he's definitely not that tall now. I think, you know, she said he was like 5'11 and 170 pounds. So he's never a big man, but he, looking back, he was really tough. I remember, you know, we had dairy cows, and it was one of the things. And I remember, you know, he was climbing up the ladder into the corn crib, and he slipped or something, or maybe a board broke, and he reached out to try to grab whatever to stabilize himself, and he grabbed a hold of a piece of tin, and it literally sliced his palm open. And as a seven or eight year old kid, maybe 10, I don't know, I remember looking and seeing what had to have been bone and tendons and, and realizing, oh man, I guess dad's going to the doctor. No, nope, dad didn't go to the doctor. He wrapped it up and went on with life. And, and I'm thinking, okay, dairy farmer, you know, you're squeezing a lot. The, the funny thing about that is what I, what I remember is he did not go to the doctor and I never remember anything more being said about it. With this sliced open hand, he just went back to doing the work he had to do. And eventually, obviously, it healed because he still has his hand. One of these days, I, when I'm around him, I'll think to ask if there's a 
a scar, but there might be, but it was just weird because never said anything about it. I never remember complaining about it. I don't remember him walking around. Oh man, nothing. He just, it's like he went on with life. And so there's a, there's a mental and, and I think too, just a physical toughness because almost a, there's no choice. Who else is going to milk the cows? Who else is going to do the work? And, and I think it just is a, maybe a little bit of an insight into what men are capable of, you know, if you have to. And um, I don't know whether he got infection in it. I don't know how he couldn't have, but he went through. So tough, you know, just a tough guy. And has kind of a certain attitude of toughness. Uh, like you say, you mentioned my kind of joking about him and his uh, about 80 that two bulls were fighting in a pen because they were too closely confined. And it was probably a pen that it was a squeeze chute. And he got, he jumped in there with a paddle and he was going to separate them. It's like, they're going to, dad, they're going to kill you. And, and no, he, stupid bulls. And, uh, but that was, that's just been his, like, that's his impulse. It isn't like he stood and thought, you know, I really think I could get in there and reason with him. It was just, they're fighting. He's going to jump in and knock it off. So it's kind of like his impulse is that, you know, not a retreat impulse. Did you ever get in trouble as a kid? And how did he handle that? <laughs> if he's going to jump in between two I mean, bulls, I can't, I can't what do you think? Did, well did you me. ever get in trouble as a kid? What do you think the answer to that is? <laughs> uh, actually, pro not a lot, really. Um, or at least I don't recall. I, you know, with two older brothers to pave the way, and for me to observe, okay, they got in big trouble for this and they got in big trouble for that. There were certain things I just avoided. But yeah, we did. I mean, my brothers and I, we were always scrapping and fighting and arguing, whatever. Very rarely do I remember being in trouble. But the one thing I do remember is dad rarely, if ever, had to deal with it. Because, oh, m make no doubt about it. Let there be no doubt mom was in charge. There was never, ever a, oh, you wait till your father gets home. Because there was no waiting. If there was discipline to be meted out, it was, justice was served. And now, I remember never, ever, ever, I don't have any memories of like beatings or whatever. It wasn't that. I'm sure I got spanked. Um, but it wasn't one of those that that's what I remember. I just remember that mom and dad are in charge and we're not. And looking back, it's like, yeah, that's a pretty good way to live. You know, so you're always kind of pushing the envelope a little bit, but you know better than to push too hard. And it's a good way to live. What'd your dad do for fun? <laughs> it worked. I think, honestly, as I think about it, the fun is, and, and I understand this, the fun, it can be just a sitting back, and whether it's just sitting on the seat of a tractor after you made that last pass through the field with the cultivator and just kind of looking it over and breathing in and enjoying or whether it was, um, you know, sitting down uh, when the harvest is complete. I think there is a level of fun to that. And but he, you know, dairy farmer. And uh, other things going on, preach part-time at small churches pretty much his entire life. There really wasn't like leisure time. 
milking cows is a twice a day, seven days a week thing. So uh, it wasn't like we went out for vacations and so on. Uh, but uh, I think the just the little breaks here and there and the, you know, friends coming over for the evening or whatever, that was the fun stuff. So you said your mom usually handled you, uh, you'd be in trouble, but, <laughs> Very um, much so. but most people get in trouble in their teen years. So what was it like with having your dad as your dad when you were a teenager? Well, it was, it was similar to the other years. Um, again, I, I saw my brother Dave, who was the guy that for whatever reason, he was a guy that curfew meant nothing to him and he wasn't out doing anything, but sitting around in the town square at Primgar talking to people or whatever. But if curfew was 1030, uh, he'd come home at 11 or 1130 or, uh, mom or dad would go in and get him. And, uh, I would imagine that would have been a little embarrassing to 16 year old Dave. Um, my curfew was more of the, you know, you're getting up at six in the morning. And so, you know, staying out till midnight, that got old real fast because pure boredom at midnight or misery at six. Yeah. But no, dad was, um, dad was the guy that he was supportive. You know, my brothers and I were involved in a lot of stuff. They'd come to the concerts. They'd come to the track meets. They'd come to the football games. They'd come to all that. Very rarely did, did mom or dad miss anything. Uh, the only thing would have been the state track meet down in Des Moines, but it was far enough away, and it was in May when it was field work time. Uh, Dad was not the guy that was embarrassing in the stands. He was just there. But he was observing everything, and we could talk about it, or, yeah, you, that play was great, or, yeah, didn't do so well on that one. But I do think the one thing I, I mentioned about my teenage years is when I was 14 and my brother Tim was 16, Dave would have been 17. That's when Tim died in that farm accident. And there are watershed events in people's lives, and that would be an obvious one. You know, from the younger brother's perspective, I just remember the uh, the market shift in mom and dad, mostly mom, from more of the carefree to the almost hyper-vigilant um, and worry, 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 which I think was a little bit in my mom's nature anyway. Um, so at that point, though, you know, like I say, I was 14, uh, mom got, you know, hyper hands-on vigilant, but dad, I think in hindsight, kind of withdrew into himself. And I I don't know in that generation, uh, you know, he's the silent between the greatest and the boomers, but I I think in that generation and with his personality, it's like, well, what else were you going to do? It wasn't like you were going to the guy that did not go to a doctor for a hand that is sliced open is not going to go to a therapist, even if there was such a thing in the 70s. So he I think it was he toughed it out. But that but I think also that that changed him enough to where um, maybe a little bit more pessimistic, maybe a little more almost nihilistic in view, you know, not exactly because, you know, mom and dad were the same Christians at home. They were wherever they went. So it wasn't like it rocked his worldview or knocked his faith out of the ballpark. But, but just a certain, I think that probably in the almost 50 years now since Tim died, there's been just a certain sadness that's there. And, and I think maybe that tweaked things five degrees or whatever. But no, dad was a good dad. He he was not the dad that you'd hear about the next day about, yeah, your dad was in the bar and man, was he out of his mind. You know, dad was home. Yeah, he's taking care of business at home. And so a good and responsible man. 
I, I would say laid a, you know, none of us lay a perfect foundation, but his was good, just very good. So did he have anybody to talk to during that time? Mom, but there again, you know, as you know, as a pastor, you've studied enough or been familiar enough to know that many couples who lose a child, the marriage ends in divorce because mm -hmm. they grieve their own ways and it sets them off in different courses. Um, mom and dad didn't do that. In fact, I think they're at the end when mom was sick, it was pretty clear that they had a pretty solid marriage. But so I think they, I think they talked to each other and I, um, and I know there, there are a lot of people dad talked to, but I don't know. He, you know, he'll talk to any and everybody, but as far as things so deeply painful or personal, I, I doubt it. Just, um, it's one of those where, how you doing, bro? Oh, good. And yeah, so that, to the best of my knowledge, I don't know that there was anybody outside of mom that really he talked to. Maybe his mom some, but. How did he handle losing your mom? Um, he, um, hmm, it's a good question. Uh, dad, dad's from another era where the men, you know, the men are supposed to be in charge, even though, you know, in mom and dad's case, mom was tough uh, and he knew it and, and, and he'd act like he was in charge, but they were pretty co-equal in, uh, uh, and anyway, he was, he kind of did a little bit of the my way or the highway thing when it came to his relationship with mom. But then I do know that the behind the scenes were more like, yeah, we know, you know, we ended up going a direction that mom wanted to go in the first place. And so, uh, but dad was not always, you know, he was busy farming and busy working and he was not necessarily attentive to mom's needs as a wife and mother. And I think that was pretty typical. And I don't say that in some derogatory or bad way. It's just, you know, my role is to work. Yours is to take care of me and the kids. But he, when mom, they found mom, they found stage four colon cancer in mom when she was 68. And, uh, and from that moment on, he became mom's caretaker. And uh, even to the very end, when we all came to terms with the fact that short of a miracle of God, she was going to die. And she did die at age 71. Even to that point, he could not bring himself to put her in hospice because that meant that we're giving up. And um, so she ended up in the hospital, in, in a tiny little hospital in the town of Primgar, and what eventually, essentially was hospice care anyway. But uh, he would not give up, would not give up, would not give up. And then since then, he, he speaks glowingly of her. He looks back for more than he looks forward, I guess I'd say. He reminisces and talks and always speaks about, you know, how wonderfully mom did this or did that. So I think his grieving of that and is just to honor her memory. And, and I don't, I don't think he has turned her into a saint, um, because she was pretty saintly anyway, and he knew it, but he, you know, I think the, um, the, her, the joy in the memory, it's there. And, uh, and, and what he's done since then is I think what he's done his whole life is you, you plod on and you work 
and you just do what's got to be done. You do the next thing that's in front of you. And uh, the difference is that in the 13 years since she's been gone, dad has not had her nudging him and pushing him in one direction or another, or he has not bounced things off of her. And uh, that's, that's evidence, that's evident in the trajectory of his life. Not that his life is bad, it's just that um, an 86-year-old man making all these decisions on his own without his lifelong partner there to guide and direct and to encourage and to chide, it's a different thing. And so uh, I think there's loneliness. Well, I know there's loneliness, but he's got a lot of friends, but it's different. And uh, I, um, I, I think he, I mean, he's navigated being without her quite well, all things considered. But it would be much better if she was here. How are you different than him? And why do you think you're different in those ways? Both Dave and I are different from Dad in that um, I think we are, a couple ways, we are, we are decision makers. Dad's the guy that, you know, like, well, we're going to sit on this. And, and Dave and I both, we both have the tendency of dads to overanalyze everything and obsessively, you know, think, think, thinking of whatever this might have. But Dave and I are far more apt to pull the trigger especially when it comes to, I'm going to sell that. Don't need it, have no use for it, I'm going to sell that. Or we're more apt to a little more aggressively jump into something that he would not have jumped into. Like over the years, Angie and I have owned five different houses. He, you know, if it was dad, he never would have bought one just because uh, if, he, if it, the house he was in was fine, he would never have, he would have overthought it and then the opportunity would have passed. Uh, so, yeah, Dave and I are both more decision makers. We're more apt to go with it. Um, I am I am more outgoing like my mother is was. In fact, my personality is probably, excuse me, far more like hers than dad's as far as just uh, basic personality and interpersonal relationships and things. The other thing I think where I'm probably a little different than dad is that Angie and I have decided, you know, probably, well, it would have been about 10 years ago when our kids graduated uh, from high school. We decided partly because of seeing what happened with mom at 68, that we're not going to wait for that pie in the sky day during retirement at which we're going to travel. So we've taken some vacations. We've gone and done some things. COVID put a pause to that, but uh, the decision to, we're going to go do stuff together. We're going to do it together. So that would be the other thing that uh, Dave and I think I think probably are similar in is that Dad is a guy that fixed everything. He's always been amazing with his knowledge of. I Meaning, even when he was in his seventies, he's repairing other neighbors' tractors, like you know these great big diesel tractors, and he's replacing the torque amplifier, rebuilding the engine, putting on a new injection pump, and stuff. But Dad's always had a tendency to fix stuff just to the point where it will work not to the point where it's done. And so Dave and I have a tendency to go that and it's like, you know, if the hood's supposed to be on the car, which clearly it is, we're going to put the hood back on the car. And uh, so we tend to probably be more meticulous about a lot of stuff than that is. Um, other than that, I'm not sure. Probably 
there's probably as much similarity as difference between us. What's the best advice he's ever given you? I don't think it's been verbal because I don't think anything he has ever said is different than anything he's done. So I, I, I'll struggle with that one in that the best advice has been what he's modeled, um, not what he's said, because dad tends to be a guy that doesn't, you know, he doesn't sit around and reflect with his family. Uh, it's uh, more of the, you know, he'll be there and observe. Uh, he'll talk, but generally what gets talked about is more circumstantial things, but it's the trajectory, it's the way, it's the, you know, it's the work ethic and so on. So, sorry to cop out on that one, but the advice is just, yeah, the advice is just the way that he's lived. And there is a very clear consistency in that. I, I think probably like any, like any father-son relationships that are the, as they should be, and there are a lot that are not as they should be, there are things that are frustrating. There are things that are amusing. And, uh, but there are far more things that I look at and go, yeah, this was good. This was very good. And uh, because of that, uh, I'm fortunate and blessed. And uh, uh, assuming that Dave and I outlive Dad, there will be a very sad day coming that I don't know that we'll be prepared for, but as prepared as anybody could be. So that's about it. All right. Well, thank you very much, Jeff. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And 